This is MANA modules. This is module 15.3, uh, Great Men and Women of the Bible. And tonight, uh, Leslie Griffiths is dealing uh, with Ruth, the life of Ruth. And later on, uh, I will be dealing with the life of Hannah. Thanks, Leslie. Welcome. Thank you, Ian. I've put various diagrams and things up on the wall, and you've got pictures, so we have a chat about those as we go through it. I wanted to explain, really, why I chose Ruth, because when I first became a Christian, when I was about 16, I was trying to read the Bible, and I came across Ruth, which for me was brilliant, because it's the shortest book in the Bible, having only four chapters. So it very quickly became my actual favourite book, but there is actually a massive amount of stuff about God and everything else in that particular book. Also, Ruth is one of my favourite names, and if I'd been able to choose my name rather than be named what my mother and father named me, I'd be Ruth, because it means lovely friend, <clears throat> which I thought was good, rather than grey fort, which is what Leslie means. The book of Ruth, an Old Testament book, um, set in the time of the judges, so a very grim place, very grim time. A time of religious and moral upheaval, where people were doing their own thing and not listening to God. And this book actually reflects a temporary time of peace between Israel and Moab. And it's actually a delightful account, the book of Ruth, of the remnant of true faith and piety in the period of the judges, reliving an otherwise dark picture of that era. So it's a bit of like sort of light bulb with two dark bits on either side. Mm. You know, maybe how the sun comes down sometimes. We don't actually know who wrote Ruth, so not sure. It's been, various people have been said, but it's been discounted, so at the moment we don't know who wrote it. Um, I've used the international, NI, New International Version and also something called the Jewish Midrash, which is an ancient commentary on the Hebrew scripture. And Ruth is one of only two books in the Bible named after women. The other one is Esther. Mm. So um, We haven't got a description of Ruth. Um, <clears throat> I assume because of where she came from, that if you think about the Middle East now, she would have had dark hair, olive skin. There's some pictures on the tables in front of you. I don't know if you can. There you are. Have a look at them. Yeah, that's if you can share them round so everybody gets a chance to have a nose. And I just wondered, looking at those, who you thought maybe was the nearest one to what you thought of as Ruth. Mm. <coughs> Anybody? Should we? Up here, so I can Right, any votes for this one? Any votes for this top one? Yeah. The colourful one. Anybody like this one? Is Ruth? No. Which one? Yeah, I would. I do. You two do. Yeah. That's one vote, okay? Anybody else? How about the next one? The one, the scene in the um, in the in the, 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 the barn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
She was, was she gleaned the weight. Yeah. She was yeah. right behind them. <clears throat> Anybody's like that one for any particular reason? Any votes? Yeah, I can't just say no. Well, you just keep that away from me. <laughs> right. <clears throat> How about the third yes. one with the two ladies? Yeah, How many yeah. votes for this one? Yeah. One, two, yeah, I do. three, four, yeah, I do. five. Five for that one. Yeah. Okay. And this one too. Any for the last one? Yeah. One. Which is the last one? The, the, the down the field. Oh yeah, I'll wait for that one. Yeah, the field. Two, three. Somebody tell me, this is one in the competition, somebody tell me why this one is your first Because she loved her mother-in-law. Yeah. So it shows, it shows their affection for each other. Mm -hmm. yeah. I liked this one only because it's very bright and colourful. That's mm -hmm. by a Chinese artist who... Um, but the one you all like is, I've got it down here somewhere. It's by Sandy Freckleton Garden, whoever he is. But that's, if you, you know, obviously a lot of those pictures, this particular one was Nicholas Poussel, so he's actually painted something from his, you know, his time. And that's what we tend to do, isn't it? We, this is why Christ is always white with, you know. All right. Let's carry on. So Ruth was a Gentile, born in Moab, which... Can everybody see here? Moab is where Jordan is at the moment. So she came from here. And this is where Naomi's family came from. They came from this side. Yeah, they came from Bethlehem. Yeah, the Moabites were actually descended from Lot's oldest daughter who chose to live apart from God's people. So she was actually black sheep of the family, maybe? But this is a very fertile, was a very fertile part mm, yeah. of the land. And when we actually meet Ruth in her story, the land of Israel, which is over here, mm. has been hit by a massive famine. Yeah. So even though Elimelech and his family, he was a very wealthy man from the tribe mm. of Judah, mm. even though he was wealthy and had masses of money, masses of grain, because there was a famine, he was in desperate straits. So they obviously trundled all the way around here and came to Moab where there was food and set themselves up there. He had two sons, Malon and Kilion, and they married two Moabite women who, again, were Gentiles, Ruth, as I've said, and Orpha. But they, these two women were also the king, the daughters of the king of Moab, so they were princesses, so they were quite high up, I suppose, in the, in the echelons. The, they went against the teaching of the Jewish Torah, which forbid the marriage of Jews to people who were not Jewish. So that's another precedent. That I think was probably, probably one of the first times where this happened, where Jews married non-Jews. And the family, so mother and father, Naomi and Alec, and the two sons, and Ruth and Orpha, lived together for ten years, quite happily. And then for some reason, nobody knows why, Emelik and the two boys die. So you're now left 
with three women with no male support, which in those days was very, very hard, very hard for them. Naomi decides that she wants to go back here. She wants to go back to Bethlehem. And she wants needs to face her family and friends because obviously she's done something. She's been there with Emelech. They've had marriages outside the Jewish faith in their family. She won't be looked on very, very kindly. So, Naomi wants to go back. She wants the girls to go back to their family in Moab. Orpha does, but Ruth doesn't. So Ruth and Naomi, because I think Ruth respected her mother-in-law so much, she decides to leave Moab with mum-in-law, and they travel probably up this road here called the King's Highway, which still exists, up here, probably across here, and down, whether on foot, donkey, or whatever, I don't know. But it would have been a horrendous journey. Mm. It would have taken them possibly months. Mm. It's probably further than here to Fongaray. It's, um, I haven't quite worked it out, but it's, it's a, and if you're doing that on foot, on State on Highway nice. 1, you know, it's mm. not a happy journey, is it? Mm. So, that's what happened. So they arrived back in Bethlehem. Before they actually go, in the Bible, Ruth, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Ruth says to Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. I find that quite poignant, actually, for someone to say that to their mother-in-law. Um, but she obviously loved this woman, and she wanted to be with her. But by actually, Ruth actually saying this, she's committed herself to Naomi's God, who is our God, and thus acknowledged him as her God. And she was willing to leave her, whole, her old habits, which were probably not God-fearing, maybe, and adapt to more purposeful spiritual life. So these ladies have travelled up here, across the River Jordan and down into Bethlehem. How do you imagine they're going to be, are they going to be greeted with open arms, do you think? Or are they going to be greeted with animosity? Or do you think it's going to be a bit like the prodigal son returning when the fatty calf is killed? Or you think so? No, no it's not. How long were they away from Bethlehem? I don't know. Well, ten years they were married, weren't they? Okay. So then you've got the time that they travelled as well. It could be nearly 11 years, maybe. Okay. Depending on how long the journey was and how they travelled. Well, she was an old lady when mm. she got back. Mm. So it says. Yeah. So we don't know. Yeah. They actually didn't have a very happy... They when they got to, it wasn't very happy for them when they got to Bethlehem. They were shunned by the community, even though Naomi was a close relation of Boaz, who was a well-respected leader of the community. His mother was Rahab, a Canaanite, a former prostitute who had hidden some Hebrew spies before the fall of pagan Jericho. Mm -hmm. Do you remember Rahab? Yeah. Yeah. So they got there, they were shunned, they had no resources, no money, no... 
house, nothing. They were destitute, basically. Thankfully, they actually turned up in the time of the harvest. Mm. And what they could do then, Ruth went out into the fields to glean, so she was going behind the guys, cutting the crop, just picking up stuff that was left lying there. And they were actually, the field owners were required as an act of charity to allow the poor to pick up the wheat that was dropped. So it was part of the Jewish law that if, if the poor were out there gleaning, you left them alone. The Midrash, which is the Jewish um, commentary on this, described how Ruth would not flirt with the field workers as the other women did, but behaved modestly. She also gleaned only the edges of the field where the wheat was left, and not from the rows of wheat as the other women did. So she actually put herself in a good position. She was seen as a, a, a woman who was complying with what was supposed to be done. She wasn't you know, flirting with the men who were cutting or anything like this. But the interesting thing here is God actually led Ruth to a field belonging to Boaz. And he actually was a cousin of Emelech. So that's the connection. That's the family connection. So Boaz noticed Ruth, her dignified and modest behaviour. He made inquiries as to who she was. And even though she was a close relation by marriage, all he did was to ask her to stay in his fields. And he instructed his workers to treat her kindly and give her water from his well. Ruth accepted all this with gratitude, not realising that Boaz was only doing what he was obliged to do. So it was actually stipulated in, in the Old Testament, certain things that, you know, if you had people in your fields, they were supposed to do X, Y, and Z. <clears throat> now, the Jewish Torah actually gives explicit instructions as to what should happen if a married man died, leaving a childless wife. The brother of the dead man, or the next, the next closest relative, had a duty to marry the widow. If they had children, the first son was considered to fill the void of the dead brother, inheriting his estate and his portion of land in the land of Israel. He actually did something. He redeemed the name and memory of the dead man, the mitzvah of Yibum. A mitzvah is a commandment. And there's actually 613 of these commandments in the Jewish Torah. Boaz actually fits this job description, but appears to be oblivious to it. So you've got a man there who obviously fits, all the, fits the bill, but for some reason, I don't know why. Maybe he's, maybe he's um, I don't know. <laughs> maybe he doesn't want a wife. <laughs> doesn't clearly wants to marry Ruth. <clears throat> anyway, Naomi's obviously concerned about this, so she gets, gets down on her knees and prays to God. And then she suggests to Ruth that she went to the threshing floor where Boaz was and lay at his feet. What would happen, the owners of the field would actually sleep in the th where they were threshing the grain just to protect it from theft. So Boaz, again, was protecting his assets by being on the threshing floor. So Ruth went there and laid at his feet. And Boaz woke up and asked who she was. So she says to him, I'm your servant Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. Kinsman redeemer is actually quite important, because he is a male relative, who according to various laws found in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, he had the privilege or responsibility to act for a relative who was in trouble, danger, or in need of vindication. 
clearing of blame or suspicion. His responsibilities also included restoration of property to his impoverished kin and the redemption of their persons from slavery. So it was quite a crucial role this person had. Boaz suddenly has his eyes opened and becomes aware of his responsibilities towards Naomi and Ruth. He promised to contact them once he had worked out who their nearest male relative was, able to perform the mitzvah of Yibam with Ruth, which was basically able to marry Ruth. So he obviously goes off, makes his inquiries, finds that there's a man who's nearer than he is, but who doesn't want to marry her. So the fallback position there is Boaz marries her. So Boaz marries Ruth. And they have a son called Obed, who once, when Boaz dies, his, this Obed is actually brought up by Ruth and Naomi, which is quite unusual in those days. But the important thing here is that Ruth is actually mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Mm. If you look in Matthew, she's mm. mentioned there. I think it's Matthew, Matthew 1, probably. She is the great-grandmother of King David mm. and showed that not only could a Gentile be a part in Jesus' lifeline, but they could also <coughs> be God's instrument for some higher good. Mm. Ruth was a Gentile, born in Moab, who married a Jew. She followed, started following the Jewish faith, married her kinsman redeemer, who was Boaz, again, obviously, and then became, eventually became the great-grandmother of King David and lived a life of faith following God. The whole book of Ruth represents an early sign that the Messiah would liberate all humankind, not solely the Jews. So it was one of the first times that people were aware that it wasn't only the Jews that were going to be liberated, it was going to be everybody. In our relationship with other Christians, we should be encouraging and caring, be sympathetic and willing to serve each other. We should be willing to serve, be truthful, teach and advise each other lovingly. The way we live our lives should draw people to God so that they can say, see how they love one another. Jesus was our kinsman redeemer who died for our sins on the cross. And I think we need to maybe think about that and be grateful for it, because if he hadn't have done, we wouldn't be where we are now. I've gone through that quite quickly. Is there anything that you want to talk about? or anything? Has anybody here read the book of Ruth through? Yeah. Recently or...? No, I meant to. <laughs> <laughs> How did you find it when you read it through? Oh, I love the book of Ruth. It's just compassion and um, resilience and, yeah. mm. and Naomi was instructing her to do things as per like, what God would want. Yes. Yeah. And she was trusting and did them and it worked out for her. See, people initially read it and they think it's a love story. Well, maybe it is, but there's a lot more to that than just a straightforward love story between man and woman. It's a love story between us and God. And, you know, Naomi was very right in her praying about a situation, wasn't she? And you could see yeah. God's hand on this all the way, really. Because yeah. would you want to walk all that long way? 
I wouldn't want to walk from here to Fulham. Hopefully, they're a donkey. Yeah, even on a donkey, I don't think I'd want to do that. Anybody else? Got any? No? I have got fuller notes if people want fuller notes. I've got some, I can copy some off for you. So. Okay. If you can do that, that would be good. Okey-doke. We'll do. Good, thanks. Leslie, uh, that's great. Mm. You know, it's a story, isn't it, of, of, of how God turns things. Yeah. Yes? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, the Bible picks up the, the genealogy of Jesus. That's why the books of Ruth are in there. You know, there's many families that could have been, the story could have been told about. But we're wanting to link, uh, and of course, Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. So this story is about Bethlehem, and we know that when Jesus was about to be born, they had to what they had to do. They had to return to Bethlehem for the census, yes. And the reason is because Elimelech um, comes from Bethlehem, and so he, you know, that was the family roots. So in the famine, of course. They go all the way this way to get food. I mean, these are the journeys that people are taking today. The refugees are going these sorts of distances on foot today. Why? Just to get food or, or to escape war. And they're travelling hundreds of kilometres, you know, just on foot, whatever they can do. And, and so she tra they travel all this way. To, thank you for the map. That's so helpful. Down to Moab. Uh, and and uh, But here's Ruth. She, she's a... She, she's not a, 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 a Jew, Jewess at all, but she decides something in Naomi's life triggers her. You know, this is family. This is the mother-in-law. And, and, and something's there. Orpah says, I'm off. I'll stay here. But Ruth says, no, where you go, I'll go. Your God will be my God and so on. And, and she links up. But what a decision. What a great decision. You know, we talked uh, last time, you know, about Rebecca and just decisions that are made that have a whole ongoing result from one decision. And so that's why we need to be careful about the decisions that we make. I mean, Ruth had no idea <laughs> that she was part of the Messiah or, the, or was going to be the great-grandmother of King David. I mean, that was way out of left field from Moabite woman, wouldn't have entered her head, yeah. but she recognised something about this god of, of Naomi's, yeah? And chose that. And then when the challenge to go back all this way, well, I mean, to bet she had no idea how far it was, but, um, and Naomi said, you know, don't do that. But she said, no, I'm choosing, I'm choosing. And she makes right decision, right decision. And you know, there's, there's so much in a decision. And we can, we can miss, she could have missed it. She could have said, no, 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 no. But what an outcome. And so she comes back and, and, and uh, I don't know, I, I'm not sure how cunning, I'm not sure how cunning Naomi was, but she knew about Boaz and when she found out about him, she says, you get down to that field. And, 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 but again, look at Boaz. You know, he, he, he shows a whole lot of character here, doesn't he? Mm. You know, he does the right thing. Eventually. Yeah, eventually. The blessing, well, he sees her. He, <laughs> he, he thinks she's a bit of all right. 
And, and he can't believe that this young woman is going to be looking at him, an older codger. And, and so he, that's probably why he didn't take a whole lot of notice of her. But the more she hung around and the more attitude, good attitude she showed, the more he thought, oh, I mean, this could be God's answer for me. And again, he would have had no idea that he was going to be uh, in the genealogy of the Messiah. And, and so the, again, these decisions, doing it right, when we do that, we will bring the blessing and the favour of God upon us. Amen. When we make right decisions and have a right attitude and do things right, that we, who knows? Amen. And we've often said, you know, the blessing of God doesn't all happen in one generation. The promises of God are not fulfilled in one generation, necessarily. And uh, uh, the exciting thing about what, what I can see happening uh, bit by bit here in Excite is that these young families coming into the church, they're often first-generation Christians. And, you know, a whole new pathway is being made. A whole generation after generation of Jesus tarries, you know. Um, but, yeah. So what, what, do you, what do you think about this? What, this Bethlehem turns up. You know, it's going to be all the way through the Bible from here on. Mm -hmm. uh, it becomes important from the tribe of Judah mm -hmm. and uh, the tribe of praise. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about the characters of the, the characters here? Boaz, Ruth, come on. What strikes you about them? What are the good things about them? They are. Yeah. I see the whole thing in Ruth as being a story of God's provision, that mm. God goes before us, yeah. and that he provided for every step. She didn't know, mm. but she stayed faithful to, to God, and she was very faithful and loving to the people. And as she stepped through, things just fell into place. It's like for us, mm. God will provide for all that he wants us to do. Yep. I mean, it must have been God's plan right from the start. He knew that Ruth was going to be the great-grandmother of King David. Yeah. You know, but she honoured the Lord and she respected those people. She had character there. And, it just, um, and God just put things in front of her. He provided for her all the way. Good. That's good. God was, yeah. She was obedient. She was obedient to her mother-in-law. Yes, she was. She was, you know, when the mother-in-law sent her away, she wanted to stay with the mother-in-law. Yep. And she was blessed by the mother-in-law when, when her mother-in-law mm. told her to go and sleep at the foot of yeah. Boaz. Yeah. You know, she was obedient there, and the blessings came to her because of her obedience yeah. to those that were, they were, she was under. Yeah. And then through Boaz, you know, when Boaz got to be, so they had a child, and from there, you know, and the line of starts, and, and that's where we look at it. We're obedient to what the word says, then blessings and favour will come to us. Yeah. Not that we get it right all the time. <laughs> <laughs> when um, we do, it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing, yeah. 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 Mm. There's also the, the fact that the woman were the widows mm. and they mm. lost their, their husbands mm. and so they were actually in a community that was... They had no one, no male figure to support them, so they actually, and in, in two different cultures, so in Moab and in Bethlehem, so you've got two different, yeah, two different communities. Um, and there, there's a deeper element to that when they go back into Bethlehem, 
and especially when they're clean and then um, there's joy, there's prosperity back in Bethlehem, there's that harvest time, there's the festival time, there's celebration, so there's a sense of poverty for one and, and wealth in the other, mm. other, other community in Bethlehem. Um, but again, it all goes back to how God orchestrated everything. Mm. But yeah. in reality, when you look at that, three, three women that are widowed and mother-in-law, mm. and you put that into our context today, we will be challenged by, by mm. that. We will be challenged greatly by that. Mm. Mm. You know, so it makes you think holistically, and yes. wow, that's, that's, that's a lot of responsibility, a lot of faith, a lot of... Um, respect for one another and that whole um, yeah that whole just walking with the Lord and walking with the relationship because I and I think Ruth already knew Boaz and Boaz knew Ruth in terms of the relationship as, as family. So there was otherwise I'm sure a mother woman would say I'm going to sleep out his feet and do this and go to his field and do that because she she already had in her mind, a possibility, potential, this could be her husband, mm. you know, and, and, and lead that way. So she was a woman, a mother figure, looking after her own daughter. Well, when I, yeah, when I read, I, I think Boaz was Elimelech's brother. Says cousin. Cousin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. cousin. So she mm. okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, God, uh, God chooses. Mm. Mm. I mean, and you look back down, along comes Obed, the boy, mm. from this marriage. And then Jess, Jesse. Yeah. And Jesse has eight sons. Yeah. One of whom's David. And, and Samuel, who we're going to meet in a minute. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, his, he turns up at Jesse's house. Mm. And God says, this is the place. Yeah. You know, it's this family. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about going to this family. Yeah. And, and God is choosing because these people keep making right decisions. Yeah. And, and the blessing of God does come through families. You know, and so we, we, we look at that. All right, anyone else want to say something? Paul, you want to say something? Uh, no. No? Okay. <laughs> anyone else? Okay, good. Well done. I think what we'll do now, we, we're going to look at Hannah for a few minutes and see how, what she does. And, but I think, I, I feel like a coffee now. Okay, so we're going to read uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we're going to read it through together. I'm reading from the NIV, so if your version is different, it'll read slightly different. And it says, There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zuphite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, yes, son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. Well, there's a problem right there. <laughs> hey, one is enough. One was called Hannah, and the other Penina, and Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up to, from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. 
Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. You know, sometimes our problems are arranged by the Lord. And we, as sort of Pentecostal Christians, have difficulty with that concept. But we need to understand that sometimes God allows problems to bring something to birth. Something to change something in us. To, uh, to, to talk to us, to, to help us, to get the purposes of God carried out in us and through us. And sometimes there, there, there's things that happen that just hem us in, that just wall us for, for a season. And uh, we need to be able to understand those times. So the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. So that's good when you've got two wives in the same house and one is irritating the other <laughs> and provoking. You know, <laughs> This went on year after year. <laughs> Poor old El Carter, eh? He got more than he could wish for. <laughs> ah, there it is. And so year, this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Wow. You know, ha ha, I've got kids, you haven't. I've got kids, you haven't. Ha ha ha, I've got kids. And it's your problem. You, you know, you're barren. And, and in, in this culture, that was quite a, an issue. And it, it can be an issue in our culture too. Yeah. It, 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 you know, it can be. You know, we say, well, what's wrong with, you know, with, with that situation? What's wrong with her? You know, but we, we need... That's what I was saying the other Sunday. We, we shouldn't judge because we don't know all the facts, eh? You get the old uh, four by two in our eye. <laughs> Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Yeah. He wish. <laughs> Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth, and Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? I mean, she's back year after year, she goes through this, and he's sitting there thinking, this woman, here she is, here she comes, here she comes and she's on the plonk again. And how long? You know, are you going to be like this? And uh, get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Amen. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. She is pressing through. Mm -hmm. She is getting answers. She is not... 
She is not s- sitting there saying, oh, well, too bad, how sad, oh, you know, I'm off. Uh, she is saying, no, Lord, I am going to hang on to you. It's like, was it Jacob? He said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And, and, and he wrestled through. And so she is, she's in this anguish of soul. She's been praying. She wanted a son. But this is of God. God is after a boy to be born. And this woman has been stonewalled and, and, and carrying a child. But she, I, I, it's, a, so it's like a gift of faith to bring to birth the purpose of God. Yeah? And, and so she, she's, she's praying here. And Eli answered, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Ah, there's good stuff in here. We'll come back to it in a minute. Early the next, early the next what, what do you think that tells you? What, what, what does that tell you? That verse, what does it tell you? Something changed. Something changed. What changed? She changed. Why? She believed God that her prayers had the answer. Yeah, she received a word from the prayer. She she received it like it was from heaven. Yeah. All right. We'll come back to these things in a minute. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Rama. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived. And we don't know how long that was. May have been a year. It's usually nine months. (laughs) No. No. You didn't. See, that's what I've always thought, but it doesn't say that. I read it. And it says, it says there, in the course of time, she conceived. Not that she had a son. Nine months later. Nine months after she conceived. But how long did it take for her? Let's just say they tried vigorously for a time. We don't know. Because when we receive the word of God, we don't know how long it's going to take for that thing to happen. Did it happen immediately? It may have happened immediately. But it says in the course of time, there may have taken... Take, Sometimes answers take time, but that's okay as long as they happen. So there it is. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. So she brings a thanksgiving offering. And uh, so, so there it is. And she said to him, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. 
He will be given over to the Lord and he worshipped the Lord there. Hallelujah. What a great chapter, eh? What a great blessing that, that, that is. And then you read the, then the chapter 2 is Hannah's prayer. And it's a great prayer. It's a song. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn he is lifted high. My, both, my mouth boasts over my enemies. For I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like Echo. We used to sing those scriptures, didn't we, back in the day. And, and so, and on she goes. And the last verse, or verse 11 says, Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Okay, back to our notes. Here we go. So, Hannah, we are created for a unique purpose. She was greatly loved and received a double portion of blessing, yes? Mm -hmm. You know, she was blessed of God. God was, she was in the favour of God, but she didn't get the answer that she wanted. Just because you're not getting breakthroughs does not mean you're not walking in the favour of God. It means that there is the purpose of God is still being worked out in you and through you. But you walk, you, you're in the will of God, you're in the favour of God, but uh, there is more coming. And uh, it says God had closed her. This was no fault of her own. This unique feature was the forerunner of a unique blessing. In other words, she was wonderfully created by God, flaws and all. And she did not appreciate the flaw that was hers. She didn't appreciate it. She said, Lord, I'm barren. I do not want this thing. But God said, it. this is who you are. You are created for my purpose. You are unique to fulfill a unique destiny. Hallelujah. Trust me. Trust me, says God. You know? And, but but uh, there's no need to be like anybody else. Romans 9.20, the, 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 the pot says to the potter, why have you made me like this? You know? We can become discontent and resentful about how we are created. I was, I was in a dentist waiting room. And so you pick up the magazines, eh? And in the magazine, there was this, these, these models. Claudia, they think, Claudia Schaefer, Naomi Campbell of Britney Spears. were their pictures. And they, they were reporting, the reporter was reporting out that they didn't like themselves. And they wanted to change. And I thought, my goodness, if you need to change, and they didn't like their look. Mm. One of them had two bigger ears. And the other hand, I said, oh, for goodness sake, you know, whatever. <coughs> Others would give their right arm to look like. But we all want to change. I remember when I was, years back, when I was running Campus Life for Youth for Christ, we used to run it in our home. It was a Friday night thing for teenage kids. And uh, we used to have it in Blair, we used to have it in our lounge. And uh, the, we used to have about 90 kids in our lounge every Friday night. They were, it was just packed. It was just sitting on the, out, just sitting wherever they could, looking through the windows, whatever. And, and these kids were there. But one of the things was we were talking about identity and image and things like that. And I got them to, gave them a, a sheet of paper and, and some crayons and said, um, I want you to draw a picture of yourself. 
Draw a picture of yourself. Take a few minutes, so they all got cracking, and all these teenagers, and they drew a picture of themselves, yes? And, and I drew one of myself, you know? And then, then uh, I said, okay, turn it over. Now I said, I want you to draw a picture of what you would like to be like. Okay? So I turn over the picture, and off they go. And I turned mine over, changed it. I put a whole lot of curly head on mine. <laughs> hey, it's not funny. I've seen one up there. Yes. So, 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 all these kids draw and said, "Okay, look at it." Okay. And then I said to the, all these kids, "I said, okay, Hannah, anyone who drew the same picture on both sides?" And. Uh, no one, no one drew the same picture on both sides, yeah? They all wanted something to be different, yeah? And if we drew them, we'd probably do the same. But, but, you know, we all want something different. But God has made us as we are. Hallelujah. And as you get older, you just have to accept, start accepting that more and more. You know, as gravity takes over and, and, and things don't stay in place. <laughs> But you know, these are, this is this is this is our life that we have, and it's okay, yeah. yeah. It's okay. Uh, we are we are made. We don't need to be. Uh, remember the evangelist Smith Wigglesworth, when he came to to New Zealand in the nineteen twenties, and my mother was in those meetings, and it was my great grandfather who invited him to come to New Zealand, and. Uh, they, my mum would tell the stories, and my aunties would tell the stories of the, of the crusade in the town hall in Wellington, where this evangelist was, and he had a, an amazing healing ministry. If you get any of his books, Apostle of Faith and anything like that, they're just amazing stories of how God did amazing things in, uh, through him. And um, so, but he, he, he would do things like, a lot of people had goiters in those days. They didn't know about iodine. So they had these big goiters down here. And he would, they would come up for prayer. And sometimes he, he would just grab them and squeeze them hard. And they would just disappear in the name of Jesus. My mother said that he saw one prisoner. She had cancer in her stomach. She was riddled with cancer. And to everybody's shock, he said, in the name of Jesus. And he punched her in the stomach. And she fell off the stage of the town hall. It's about four, a metre and a half onto the floor. And she cartwheels off and hits the, hits the floor. And everything. But she gets up totally healed. He would say, got to he said, take off your glasses. And he put them down and he'd jump on them. But the people would get here. My suggestion is don't do that because you're not him. You know? Uh, but there was some extreme, but he had, it was like Jesus who, you know, put spat in the person's eye and, and put mud in their eyes. But it's okay if God tells you. Yeah. It's not okay if he hasn't. It's very embarrassing. Yeah. So we need to just be ourselves and be, be glad about ourselves because God has created us for a unique purpose. And he created Hannah with a destiny and with a unique purpose. Okay, we were, she was provoked. Sometimes God allows a hurtful situation to provoke us or otherwise we would not do anything about it. We can too easily become, become content with the status quo, yes? And we've read this, that she wept, 
She would not eat, and her heart was grieved. She had bitterness of, boy, bitterness of soul. Wow, that's going down pretty deep, isn't it? You know, when you're so, in, in, so grieved about a situation that bitterness of soul is, 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 is a deep longing, isn't it? She prayed to the Lord. She wept in anguish. I mean, she must have been really um, affected for the priest to say, you know, put your wine away, for goodness sake, you know. But the, God was narrowing her down year after year. She was being provoked, and it got worse, and being provoked, it got worse, and she's crying out to God, saying, God, please. But, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is bringing something to birth here. And it's true, isn't it, that sometimes we just put up with stuff, but when we really need to press through on it and believe God for it and not give up until we see the answer. And so Hannah was, was like this. And uh, so, you see, she's determined. She is determined. She's got a bit of a... She, she, she's got an awareness that God wants to do something for her. Yes? She knows that this barrenness can be can change, and she is pushing forward and through it. Um, I, I I believe that when God is about to bring children into the into the world, He chooses the parents carefully. I have watched parents, and sometimes with children who have difficulties. And I am amazed at the patience of the parents and the love of the parents. And I, th and I thought, yeah, God, you really chose those parents real careful because this child needs extra love and extra care and extra concern. And God doesn't put those children just in any old home. You know, when, he, when we're walking with God and you think people, you know, then they have a child that has, that has got certain disabilities or difficulties and you think, wow. Um, and then you see the parents with them and you think, God, you know, I think to myself, I don't know whether I could do that. Mm. I, don't, I don't know whether I could walk that for all, you know, for year after year after year after year and your heart goes out. But God is, loves that child. Hallelujah. He cares about the child. And uh, he, he, I think he sometimes he selects the parents very carefully. Verse 17 of chapter 1. See, this is what we're, we're talking about. This verse. What made the difference? She receives a word from God. And verse 7, doesn't she? Well, she took it as a word from God. Eli said, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Yes? Right. And it comes... It, 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 she just takes it in. She takes it in. And she receives it as a rema word of God. This is what God is. It's a prophetic word. She just takes it in. You know, when we, when we get a prophetic word or we get something from the scripture, or when God speaks to you, you've got to receive it. Yeah. Otherwise, you can just skip, go in one ear and straight out the other. But we've got to take it. If we're going to bring something to birth, uh, then we need to let it bed down in our spirits and meditate on it and think about it and, and, and receive it and begin to thank God for it, begin to nurture it. Um, it's, like a, it's like a little seed, you know, when a baby's to be born, the little uh, egg comes down the fallopian tube and drops down into the uterus 
or there and it meets with a with a sperm and it's sitting there and has a new new child, but it has to settle into the womb. Otherwise, it just disappears again. And it's like that with spiritual things that happen in our life. That God can conceive something in us. God can 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 beginning to bring us purpose to bear, and it and it needs to be down into the womb of our spirit, as it were, you know, and then it's settled and get and get it get it established so it settles there in our spirit, and we begin to pray about it, we begin to believe for it, we begin to thank God for it, we begin to talk about it, we begin to prepare for it, we begin to activate by by our faith, so that our faith and that little. Uh, seed that God has planted within us begins to rise and begins to grow and begins to develop and that's part of bringing to birth what God has spoken to us and she does this and she gets up and she, the next morning and she rejoices in it and she eats something she's probably been fasting for the festival and her face was no longer downcast, I've got it I've got it God has spoken to me. I've got a breakthrough. Hallelujah. And she receives that and begins to believe for it. I think it's amazing. When you get down to the end of the chapter, and again reading it tonight, and she says, I prayed, verse 27, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him, so now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. That's uh, Samuel. And he worshipped the Lord there. And I'm thinking, you know, wow, she has waited years for this boy, yeah? And she's made a promise in her desperation. She's made a vow to the Lord. And now the little boy, I bet she thought, how many times did she think, I can't do this? (laughs) This is my only boy. I, you know, I love this child. I said I'd give him to the Lord. Oh, well, maybe, you know. But to give your only child over like that was a huge thing for this woman. And it just comes, she just does it easy. I don't think she did it that easy. I don't think some of the things that God asked us to do are that easy. They tear at our soul. They sometimes, you know, they're sacrificed often. There's a pathway that's not always easy to to be obedient to the Lord, to fulfill the purpose of God. But we just need to trust him with it. And so she she presents this child. And I think it says so much about her. It says so much about this. God saw this woman, Hannah, and says, I can trust her with this prophet. He is going to lead the nation for years. And, and, and I've got to bring him to birth, little, little fella. I, I need to select the parents. Who is going to bring this child? And who can I trust with this special child? And, and, and she, he, you know, the, it says somewhere in Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the throughout the whole earth, to show himself strong or to show favour upon him whose heart is towards God. And when God wants to do something, he's scanning, he's looking. The Spirit of God, the the eyes of the Lord is the seven spirits of God, the sevenfold anointing of the Holy Spirit uh, that scans the earth, searching. And he finds this lady, this woman, 
I can trust her with this special boy. And so he's chosen, but she's got a heart. And, he, and God is watching. He said, will she bring him? And then if, several years after he's born, she presents him. Hallelujah to the Lord. And she gives him over. Wow. See, you know, I, I don't know, but the, the, my, my father's heart, when I would turn and go away and, and leave that only child there, um, I'm a father, not a mother, but I would, that, that would affect me. That would pull at me. That would not be easy to present what God had given to me, present that to the Lord. She didn't know at all. This was the only boy she had at this point. And so she, she's trusting God. She, she's believing God. And, and then she prays. She turns and prays. And then it says she prayed and said, My heart rejoices, chapter 2 and verse 1, in the Lord. She is happy. She's rejoicing. She's thanking the Lord, Lord, for this child. I, I prayed you gave him to me and I present him to you. Well, she didn't know who he was. We know who he was, but she didn't know who he was. But, but, but this, this, is, this is God's destiny for her. As you said, in, in, in chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, it reads this. And uh, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife. And uh, verse 18, but Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. She only saw him once a year. She'd make a new, new cloak for him because he was growing every year. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. I love that. Mm. You can't outgive God. You can't give to the Lord and him not to pour it back into our lives. Amen? Amen. You know, we need to trust God with that. We need to believe God for that. That whatever you give for the Lord is not lost. Uh, it, it, you know, there's the, there's the sowing and of reaping, the principle of sowing and reaping. We must remember that what God gives to us is always his. We are stewards to look after it for him, but must never close our hands over it. Dad's advice to me was always serve God with an open hand. Remember him say that to me. He said always don't close your hand over what God gives you. You know, because God may come and say, I need that for my purposes. And you know, if I've got my hand, no, you're not having that. He's got to prize the fingers open, you know, and that's that, that, that's hurtful. That we can go through all sorts of problems. And he said, I remember my old dad saying, always serve God with an open hand. Whatever he gives to you, it's on loan. It's for a time. And if he, well, I want to take it, you remember, I, I can take it. And we've got to have that attitude. We've got to have that attitude before the Lord because the Lord, for reasons best known to himself, he takes the things... I've watched so many people and God has taken loved ones away and you think, how are they going to handle this? 
but they worship God and they've got a faith level and they trust the Lord, yeah. And, you, you know, we've all walked some pathways in that area. It's easy to, to go serve God with open hand when you haven't got much. <laughs> well, I haven't got anything. Whatever you want, Lord, you can take. But when God starts to bless, and God starts to give to us, I said, Lord, said, no, you, you sent me with an open hand. You're just stewards of what every good and perfect gift comes where? From above. From a good God with whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turning. And so God's a good God. God wanted to bring forth a prophet, Samuel, a man who would never let one word fall to the ground. A special gift requiring a special vessel. So we see these two, two people, we see uh, Ruth and we see Hannah t- tonight, and we can see that God has chosen them to bring forth his purpose. And you and I are in those positions to be a blessing to the people that we come across. Nobody can reach the people that you can reach. Nobody can be a blessing to the people that you can be a blessing to. And uh, whether it be just one or two, or a dozen. But God makes no mistakes, and he loves us and cares for us. So what do you think about Hannah? What does this teach us tonight? What, 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 what stands out for you? Leaning into the hardships when she was bearing, keep on praying out and wanting, going to the priest and asking the priest each year, and even though they said that... Uh, Saw as a drunk woman, she's never lost faith in wanting their child, and God answered her prayers yeah. and then gave her the blessings. Yeah. The same things that we have as well when we are obedient to our Father. Yeah. And when we go through everything in the Bible that we read off, it's like a message to our soul being, um, to our inner spiritual man to grow in what God said. You know, it's, we don't base uh, God around our life, we base our life around God. And we need to be more focused on that because the world says different things about how we should be behaving. Yeah. And when God's word comes into the house, it, it, he invades our space. And when he invades our space, it radiates out on what we believe and what we do. Yep. Mm. I like that phrase. That, you know, we too often, what, we, we base our lives on... What? God. God yeah. principles. We, um, live, we live for God, not, not uh, God. Not God lives for us. <laughs> God's life and His promises. Yes. Because it's safety, you know, we, if we live by the word of the book, of the Bible, and we base our life, it makes it so much easier. Yeah. Because we're not tempted by the world no more. We've been in the world. We know what it's like. We know yeah. the temptations. You know, that's why there's so much corruption in the world. Yeah. Uh, if, we're not, if we're not in God's kingdom, then we're, you know, there's only two kingdoms. You're either yeah. in the kingdom of heaven or in the kingdom of hell. Yeah. You know, we need to understand where we're going to, where it's spiritual warfare. You know, so we yeah. stand up and take, be accounted. Yep, mm. that's good. That's good. Mm. That's just my view, of course. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a bad view. <laughs> Anyone else want to say anything about Hannah? She was faithful. She was faithful. Boy, she just hung in there yeah. and she kept <laughs> hanging in there. And again, like Ruth, kept making right decisions. Mm-hmm. Kept choosing right. Mm-hmm. I like to think where, where I, you know, uh, the Rema word, when the Rema word of God comes, yeah. you know, the instant change. 
Because we walk we here to work from God, and we can be downcast and in a difficult thing. I remember going away and fasting and saying, God, if I don't hear from you, I don't know what to do. So I fasted and I fasted. And it wasn't until the 10th day of the fast that I kind of went down to the beach. I was so fed up with myself. I was at the end of my tether. I'd been crying the night before. I just didn't know where to go from here. And I walked down to the beach, and I remember shouting, because I was expecting God to move in my life in a particular way and I wasn't, it was what I wanted not so much what God wanted and it brought this wall of disappointment and then the renal word of God came and it said that's it be honest with me, it's just that honesty with God and it's and I can remember like her being really downcast and, and, and all of a sudden you know, it just changed when God speaks, that's just one. It's been numerous times, but when when the word of God comes to you, yeah, it just right. changes the situation. Yeah. But it is yeah. like to say, you, you've got to persevere and persevere and persevere and break through. Mm-hmm. But the word of God will come at its proper time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it lands. There are some things that we do just have to persevere in. Mm-hmm. Not everything, but every time you get something and you know it's of God, but it won't budge. And you just have to hang in there and keep going and trusting God for the breakthrough, yes. But yeah, I like that. That's the rima where it's the word of God that can, can, can change the situation. Um, I was watching the rugby on, um, is it Saturday night? Yes. Mm-hmm. And these two people hung, had this sign. 3 John's verse, yeah, yeah, but it wasn't 16, it was 3 ver- 1, 17. Verse, verse 7, and I, I, I got my 17. Bible out and I looked at it, and my husband who isn't a Christian, he looked at it as well, and I said, I'm sure it's 3 verse 17, and he said, no, actually, the other one fits better. What did it say? Oh, I've got a phone. <laughs> but it was so funny that, it, you know, it made him think, and made me, I got the Bible out, and he... It was John, it was 3 John. John 3, 7. Yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah. And this is at the left there. John 3, 7. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. <laughs> and it wasn't the usual one. No. So he, For my God husband thought that one fitted the situation better in the rugby than the other one. <laughs> yeah. Wow. He must be born again. Yeah. It might have been a seed that got him. Yes. Well, praise God, eh? Yeah. The unfolding of your word gives light. Hallelujah. And I trust that, that we, you know, we look into these, that's the purpose, looking into the life of these great men and women of the Bible. That as, as we look into their lives, that it will give us understanding of God, understanding of his ways, yes? Mm-hmm. It gives light. Gives you know, we can see what we need to do. Gives understanding to the simple, so there's no excuse for any of us. <laughs> Even I can get it, eh? Yeah, you can get it, Mary. Yeah. This gives me, this gives me courage. <laughs> I'm encouraged when I read that. Like, okay, I should be able to understand this. <laughs> and that's how we do. Lord, so we thank you. Lord, I just thank you for the life of Ruth. What a woman. Lord, she found you, and through you she found her destiny. And not only for her, Lord, but in the generations for her children. 
of her children, her children's children, and on, Lord, for many generations. Out of a simple decision that said, I will not leave you, your God will be my God. I'll go where you go. I'll be with you till death is part. Lord, what a decision. What a blessing that followed. Thank you for Hannah, Lord, who hung in there and persevered until you, Lord, brought forth Samuel, the greatest prophet, Lord. Man who would change nations, who would anoint kings, who would defy, Lord, uh, the enemy in so many different ways and would be your spokesman for many, many years. And she hung in there to bring him to birth. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord. So, Lord, I pray that we'll have faith. We'll keep our ears and our spirits open so that when you speak to us, we'll hear it, we'll get it, we won't miss it. And we'll let your word, Lord, bed down in our spirits and be nourished until it comes to birth, until we see it with our own eyes. Lord, all of us carry those sorts of words in our spirit. Help us not to lose heart and not to be weary and doing good, Lord, for in due time, due season, we shall reap a harvest. Hallelujah. So, Lord, I thank you for every home represented here and pray that you'll guard us and keep us as we go home. And Lord, watch over us uh, the rest of the week and bring us into your house rejoicing on Sunday, Lord. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.